Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Do's and Don'ts of Disappointment, from our series, Mixed Emotions. Well, this morning we're starting a new series, uh, and we'll be talking about the next few weeks, and it's simply called Mixed Emotions. Say that with me. Mixed Emotions. You and I live in a day where I've never seen a more emotional time to live than the time you and I live in today. We live in a series of of circumstances and world events where literally you can go from, you know, on top of the world to underneath it by simply logging into your Facebook account or turning on the news channel. Amen? It's amazing to me how quickly things can change for us. And many of us experience the difficulty of that day after day after day. Amen. And we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. How do we respond in a world where we're constantly whipsawed by different feelings and emotions? Over the last few years, a whole new language has developed, and it's the language of texting. Now, there are a few of you in the room who still don't text, and I understand that. That's okay. Um, my mom learned how to text, but she always keeps it on all caps. So every time she writes me, I think she's shouting at me, right? If you were a senior adult and you send text messages with all capital letters, I know you may be able to see it better, but your children think you're yelling. Please stop. Because you capitalize something to emphasize it in text message language, right? So you've got to learn there is an etiquette to texting, okay? And there are three big things that came up. The first was abbreviations. Some of you get a text message from your kids or grandkids, and you're thinking, I can't even understand what they're trying to say to me, right? Because there are all these abbreviations, like SMH and IKR and LOL and ROFL and ILY, right? Shaking my head, that's SMH. If your kids say IKR, they're saying, I know, right? They're agreeing with you. LOL is laugh out loud, and if you're really laughing out loud, you get an ROFL, which is rolling on the floor laughing. Although I've never actually seen anyone roll on the floor laughing. Um, But it is just, that's funny or that's really funny is the way we use those. And ILY, of course, is I love you. And there are a host of others, amen, and you can Google them at your pleasure, right, and find out what all these things mean. There are abbreviations for in texting world. There's also, there are GIFs. My wife calls them GIFs. No, it's not peanut butter. It's GIFs with a G. GIFs are these funny little animated things that people send you. Instead of LOL, you may get these guys on your phone, right? Just laughing. Or if you say something and somebody's thinking like, what? What did you just say? What does that mean? They're thinking about it. They may give you a little different look. Go ahead. I think we've got one more. Maybe not. Okay. The next, back, that's good, right there. The next one is emojis. Say emojis. You learned a new word, some of you. Some of you knew this word. A lot of times at the end of your text message, you get a little funny-looking symbol like that. And if you have an old phone, you don't get these because you get a little box I sent my mom a thumbs up one night, and she said, you sent me something and it didn't come through. And I was like, that's because you got your phone off the ark. That's why it didn't come through. Amen. (laughs) Mom doesn't get emojis. They don't even show up on her phone, right? When she flips it open, it doesn't even show up. There you go. Amen. Emojis are these little faces and symbols that can communicate. And oftentimes when we're texting our friends, they may not even send back a word. They may just send you an emoji. It may be a thumbs up or it may be a smiley face 
or a sad face, right? This is much like in Facebook world today. We don't always comment on what says, but instead of the like button, you used to could just like a status, right? Now we've gotten way more complex than that. You can like a status, or you can do a frowny face on a status, or a laughy face on a status, right? Or an angry face on a status. You made me mad. That makes me mad. It's wonderful. We don't even have to communicate to one another. Technology has gotten so wonderful. Our communication is so advanced. We have almost caught up with the cavemen who could just grunt at one another and communicate. Yeah, we're almost there. That high level of communication. Emojis are about one level above grunting in my opinion, right? Just, yeah. <laughs> but here we are in the event. And the point of all this is simple. We live in a world where people are much more likely, hear me, to react emotionally than they are to respond logically to something. Did you hear me? The world we live in today, people are more likely to react emotionally than they are to respond intelligently to something that is happening. Some of you witnessed that this very week on your newscast yesterday, right? People react emotionally. They don't respond logically anymore. We live in a world where that has happened. We live in a culture of outrage. Say outrage. Everybody is mad and offended all the time about everything, and we just continually emote about it. We express our emotions. We're always ranting or raving or expressing our feelings about something, right? We live in a world like that. And let's be honest, we experience some powerful emotions as we go through life. All of us have very strong feelings. But I'm thankful today that God created us as emotional beings and he is not surprised, he is not caught off guard when he sees us respond emotionally. He knows what we're feeling. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. One version says he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus, but God became human in the person of his son Jesus. And Jesus experienced the full gamut of human emotion. So no man or woman can ever look at God and say, you don't know how I feel. Oh yes, Jesus, God's son who became human, knows precisely how we feel. Because he has walked on our earth and he's lived our life and he's been a mile or two in our shoes. He knows what it is like. When you read the life story of Jesus in the Gospels, you immediately recognize this man knew what it was like to experience the highs and the lows of human existence. And Jesus can relate to us. Jesus understands us. Say that with me. Jesus understands us. That is a wonderful comfort to me because even when someone can't fix me, I want to know that they can at least feel me. Amen? Even if you can't fix me, you can feel me. Even if you can't fix what's wrong with me, it helps me just to know that you can relate to what I'm experiencing, that you can sympathize or at least empathize with my journey. That matters to us. Life is easier when someone steps into our difficulty with us and we know we're not alone and we're at least understood in our suffering. Can I tell you, if you have no other reason to pray, pray because Jesus understands. 
Jesus understands. We used to sing the chorus of the old hymn, Jesus knows all about our troubles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Amen? He understands how we feel. I'm thankful for that. For the next few Sundays, we're going to talk about how we deal with some damaging feelings or some difficult emotions. And this morning, we're going to start with one. And that emotion, that feeling, that issue is the issue of disappointment. Say disappointment. Pastor, what do I do when I feel disappointed? Let's talk about that today. There's a great passage in the scripture that we're going to look at in just a moment. Have you ever had the thought as, as a parent, if I had a quarter for every time my children said something was unfair, I could pay their tuition to all four years of college, right? Mom, that's not fair. Dad, that's not fair. I heard it this weekend when Grandma gave the two boys a box of M&M's and she had something set aside for the other grandchild, but before she could get it into her hands, the cry came out, wait a minute, that's not fair. Right. Boy, we're just born knowing that some things are unfair. You don't have to teach a child that. That sense of equity and justice is just hardwired into us. Let's be honest, it doesn't end when we're children, does it? Oftentimes as adults, we look at seasons of life, experiences, and we say, Lord, it just isn't fair. I've done my best, I've tried to please and honor you, and it just doesn't seem fair. I want you to relax, take a deep breath, and I want to give us permission to be honest with one another this morning. Have you ever felt like life was just plain unfair? There was once a worship leader of a great congregation, and he struggled with this issue. And he wrote down his feelings in his journal. And this is what he wrote in his journal. He began to wonder if serving God was even really worth it or not. He almost resigned his position as worship pastor for the congregation. He wrote these words in his journal. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules, and what has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. Do you wonder who this worship leader was who wrote that in his journal? Well, I sneaked in Pastor Chad's office this week. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Pastor Chad. You actually have a copy of this journal entry in front of you today. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 73. I read from a slightly different version, but you will find those words there in front of you today. Psalm 73, there was a worship pastor and his name was Asaph. And Asaph was the choir director of the temple in Israel. Pretty good job, don't you think? An important position, this worship leader whose responsibility every day was to lead the choir in singing praises to God. He wrote 12 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. Not only did he direct the choir, he wrote music for the choir. He was the Bradley Knight of his day. He was the arranger of church music. And yet he went through this deep struggle and a season of life where it just felt like everything was patently unfair that was going on. He looked at the wicked around him who seemed to be prospering and he looked at his own life here he was trying to please and honor God and nothing was going right for him and it really got on his nerves and he penned these words 
for Israel's choir. He wrote the song for them to sing, and we find it in Psalm 73. If you've got it in front of you, I want us to read. Uh, I want to read, want to read it to you. This is the New King James Version I believe I have in front of me today. Um, and it says this. He answers the wrestles with the question, why are the ungodly so successful while the righteous seem to suffer so much? Here's his song, the words to his song. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so many people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you've put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. May God bless the reading of his word and his people said. That was the New Living translation from which I read. Forgive me. The New Living. Asaph admits he'd almost lost his faith in God. He almost lost his confidence. He almost backslid and stopped going to church at all because of the hard time he was having in life. I won't ask you to raise your hand today, but if if we were to be honest around the room, I guarantee you there are people in this room who for a season of their life, they did not attend church because of the same reason Asaph describes. You went through a period of life 
where it just seemed like God was not paying attention. And your circumstances were so dark and difficult, you began to wonder if God was even paying attention at all. And you grew discouraged and disappointed and you stopped attending. I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if, I, if that happened to you, can I tell you, you're not the only one who's experienced a season like that and who's responded in that way. I dare say there'd be twice as many people who would raise their hand if I were to ask you if you never left the church but you seriously thought about it during a season of great difficulty or suffering. I dare say many hands in this room would go up if we were honest enough to admit that we had considered at some point in our Christian journey just checking out and not doing this thing any longer because we were so disappointed with how life was going. Asaph admits that. Verse 2, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, he says in verse 2. Amen. Well, what do we do in moments like that? Maybe you're in a season like that today. Well, I want us to look at the do's and don'ts of disappointment this morning. And we're going to move real quickly and touch them. You can unpack them on your own. But I want to lift them up from this passage today. And the first one I would say to you is this. Don't doubt God's goodness. Say it with me. Don't doubt God's goodness. That's the temptation, isn't it? To begin to believe that God really isn't as good as we've been taught that He is. Don't doubt the goodness of God. Many Old Testament people believed that the world operated on a very simple principle. It was almost mechanical. If you do what is good, you will be blessed. If you do what is bad, you will be cursed. God blesses the good guy and God punishes the bad guy. In our day, we talk about that principle often in a different way. I don't like the term. It comes from another religion. It comes from the religion of Hinduism. Most of you didn't study Hinduism, but you did watch a TV show called My Name is Earl. And what did Earl, what was he trying to outrun the whole show? Karma. What is karma? Karma is this idea that the world exists in such a way that if you do what's good, you'll reap what's good. And if you do what's bad, you're going to get it, right? Uh, it's just this sort of you reap what you sow. But almost in a mechanical sense that the universe is set up in such a way that it rewards you when you do good and it punishes you when you do that bad. Almost a one-to-one -one correspondence. You put this in the machine, this is what you get out of the machine. That's the view of life. Lots of people have that view of life. And every time something bad happens, they immediately ask the question, Oh, I wonder what I did to deserve this. Have you ever said that? Yeah. We often feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we don't deserve what we're receiving. What did I do to bring this on? I haven't done anything this horrible or bad. We may feel that way. I want to tell you, number one, don't doubt God's goodness. We often get this understanding, but the Bible tells us Asaph felt that way. He said in the very first verse, truly God is good to the pure in heart. Do you see that? To the pure in heart. We looked at that phrase a few weeks ago in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, right? Blessed are they. God is good to the pure in heart, Asaph says. Well... God is good to the pure in heart. But what Asaph forgot was this. God isn't just good to the pure in heart. God is good to everybody. God is good all the time. Amen. God is good to everyone. You say, Pastor, do you really believe that? Yes, I do. The Bible tells us this. God is good to all. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 
8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. God's good to everybody. Amen. It's sort of like the, you know, the little picture you've seen floating around when the kid is pulled up next to the teacher's desk or they move the kid to across the room and the kid says, it doesn't matter who you sit me next to, I talk to everybody, amen? Yeah. Listen, God's good to everyone. God is good. That is his character. It's a statement about who he is. God is good. He does good things. The Bible says in the New Testament that God causes His sun to shine and His rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Amen? Amen. I can assure you that if you plant your garden right next to your ungodly neighbor, it'll get the same amount of sunshine and rain as his does. God is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. What Asaph forgot was this. God wasn't just good to the pure in heart. God was good to everyone. It's not that God isn't good. It's that God is even better than we give Him credit for being. Amen. God is good to the pure in heart. God is good to us even when we haven't been pure in heart. Amen. He's good to all. I love this. God really is good. Better than we can ever imagine Him to being. Where would we be if God was not slow in anger and abounding in mercy? Amen. Psalm 130, the psalmist says, Lord, if you marked our transgressions, who would be able to stand in your presence, right? If the Lord just took issue with us for any and every little thing, we'd stay behind the woodshed, wouldn't we? We'd we'd never come out. We'd be like that kid whose name is just permanently printed on the detention list. I had a friend who they used to paddle at school and the teacher would come by at the end of the day. One day he was out in the hall and the teacher said, James, your name is not on the list. And he said, well, it's always on the list. I just got up and came out here. I figured it was on. (laughs) Wow, you mean it's not on the list? Amen. Lord, help us. The Lord is good to all. And if God punished us for every little thing, then we would stay in trouble all the time, most of us. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He's not dealt with us according to our iniquities, nor punished us according to our transgressions. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy. Amen? So don't doubt God's goodness. Say it with me. Don't doubt God's goodness. And secondly, don't measure short-term profits. Don't measure short-term profits. What Asaph was doing is he was measuring the value of serving God by what it was getting him right now. I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of money put back in retirement. Not nearly as much as I'll need, should the Lord tarry, but a little bit put back. And it's growing and building. But that money is in a stock fund. And I want to tell you, if you've never had, take, had to take heart medicine, get you some stocks. Amen? <laughs> get you a little bit of money tied up in the stock fund. It's a fun ride. It's better than anything at Six Flags. OWA doesn't have anything on the stock market, right? I had a friend tell me a long time ago when I first started, he said, Daniel, here's what you've got to do. Put your money in this fund and forget about it. I'm going to manage it. I'm going to move stuff around. I'm going to keep my eye on it. He said, but if you start moving money every time this goes up or this goes down, you will never have any peace and you'll never make any money. Put it in there. Keep putting it in there and forget about it. Just just go on with your life and pretend like it doesn't exist. I'll help you manage it once or twice a year. I'll call you. We'll talk about it and you can eat your Rolaids then. But the rest of the time, just forget about it, right? Right? 
forget about it. Oftentimes we look at our relationship with God that way, like the stock market. Listen, you can't pull your money out every time there's a hiccup in the market. And you can't stop serving God every time there's a bump in the road. You can't judge the value of living for God by the short-term profit that you do or do not receive. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. He said in verse 13 and 14, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day I've been plagued and chastened every morning. The new living says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Wow. Don't judge it by the short run. If there's one thing I love about the Psalms, it is their honesty and their candor. I read things in the Psalms that they say to God that I was taught you shouldn't say to God, to be honest with you. I I was taught you don't want to be that honest with God. Don't say things like that to God. That's disrespectful to talk like that to God. And yet when we read the Bible, we find not only did people say them and God not strike them with lightning... But they wrote them down in the Bible and the Holy Spirit preserved these words for us so that you and I could read them and know we have permission to be honest with God. And so today if you're feeling like life is unfair, instead of letting it pull you out of God's presence, I challenge you, let it drive you into God's presence. Instead of letting your disappointment cost you your relationship with God, let it deepen your relationship with God. Go deeper. Don't measure short-term profits. Tell God what you're thinking and feeling. Express honestly to Him. Leave it there. Our doubts will either drive us closer to God or they'll drive us away from God. It's up to us. The same sun that hardens clay melts butter. It depends on what you're made of. Amen? God can take it, and we would do better off to get it off our chest. He knows what we're thinking and feeling. But contrary to popular theology and much of what you may hear on television, in the short run, living for God, holiness doesn't always lead. It doesn't always lead to immediate returns on our investment. Amen. There are people who honor the Lord with their life, and they've not experienced a great deal of financial wealth. They walk through seasons where there is not physical health for them. If we measure the value of serving measure of earthly blessings, we often feel like we got the short end of the stick. But such thinking is a trap. Say it's a trap. And Jesus warns us against falling in that trap. He tells the story of a rich man and the beggar outside his gate named Lazarus. And if you judged holiness by short-term profits, you would think that Lazarus must be doing something wrong and the rich man must be doing something right. But when Jesus tells the story, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast that that is not the case at all. Correct? Amen. Don't measure short-term profits. Say it with me. Don't measure short-term profits. A missionary and his wife were on their way home from the mission field as the ship came. Terry walked down the gangplank where the ship had docked. He was greeted with music and a large crowd of people. And after much commotion, the missionary and his wife walked down the gangplank unnoticed. No one met them when they got off the ship that day. The missionary dropped his head and said, I can't believe it. We traveled all this way home and no one was here to celebrate our arrival. His wife nudged him in the ribs and smiled and said, Sweetheart, we're not home yet. I want to tell you the Christian would do well to remember, even on our most difficult days, we are not home yet. 
God doesn't settle all his accounts at once. And the payoff for us is not always in this life. And thank God, even when it's good in this life, that's not the final payoff. Amen? We have a future and an inheritance stored up for us in heaven that moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in. And it will be waiting for us when we cross over the gate on that day. Amen? Amen. That's our promise. Don't measure short-term profits. Number three, don't drain the faith of others. Say this with me. Don't drain the faith of others. It's okay to talk to God about how you're feeling, but be careful about talking to others. If we're not careful when we're going through a season of discouragement, we can say things to younger or weaker believers that could do great damage to their faith in God. Do you hear what Asaph says? He describes to God how he was feeling. Lord, here's how I feel. But then he made this statement. He said, verse 15, If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Do you see it? He says, I felt this way and I told God in prayer how I was feeling. But I didn't go around saying this all the time to everybody else. He said, I would have been a traitor to your people. I could have damaged the faith of other believers if I had spoken to them about what I was feeling in my disappointment. Let's be careful about what we say to others. You don't have to post every rambling thought on social media. Amen. Some things should be left between you and God. Asaph was sensitive to the fact that others could be hurt by him recklessly venting his feelings of frustration publicly. I remember Old Testimony services in church, and some of them were good, and some of them were not. (laughs) Amen. Years ago, I heard somebody step up and say, Oh, church, it's been a rough week. The devil's been after me all week. He's just been on my case really hot and heavy. I don't know how much longer I can hold on. Y'all pray for me. And then they sat down. And I thought, what kind of testimony is that? Amen. That's not a testimony. That's a damage report. Amen. Man, we all walked in feeling like you did. Please sit down. You're charging the atmosphere with doubt and unbelief. I need somebody to stand up and say, I had a rough time, but God's been faithful to me. I had a difficult week, but the Lord carried me through. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard me and rescued me from all my fears. I need somebody to say that. I need somebody to say, it was rough, but God came through for me. Amen? That's a testimony. It's okay to request prayer if you're going through, but be careful what you say. Don't drain the faith of other people. Don't stick a hole in their balloon. Amen? It just isn't nice. (laughs) Don't do that. Listen, we have to realize that both fear and faith are contagious. Faith and fear are catching, and we can share whichever one. Remember the negative report of the ten faithless spies? They poisoned all of Israel with their negative report. And Joshua and Caleb were not able to encourage their hearts and get them to obey God after that negative testimony session of the ten faithless spies. Don't be like those ten guys. Be like Joshua and Caleb. Are there giants in the land? Yes, but we are well able to take them by the strength and the help of our God. Amen. Well, let's switch from the don'ts real quick to the do's. What do we do then, Pastor, when we're struggling? Number one, do come to God's house. Say it with me. Do come to God's 
house. Asaph says, I almost stopped attending church because of the unfairness of life. I almost quit coming. Verse 16, when I, but then he, he said, but you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be faithful to God's house. Verse 16 and 17, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Say until. Until I went to church, he said, I was just about gone. My faith was just about to slip. I was nearly walking away from the Lord altogether until I entered the sanctuary of God. There's something about going to church when you don't feel like going. There's a blessing in showing up when you wanted to stay in the bed. There's a strength that comes from being around God's people to encourage your faith and help you to hold on. When we're in a spiritual funk, we often isolate ourselves. We cave into our feelings. Or worse, we surround ourselves with people who are as negative as we are during that season. And they echo back to us how horrible it is. Oh, it's so bad. And they say, yep, it's pretty bad. (laughs) Oh, have mercy. Like J. Iris, right? Don't trouble the master any further. She's dead. Yep, she's dead. She's gone. Yeah. Put those people out. Get them out of your head. Get them out of your ears. Surround yourself with some people who will speak in faith and who will speak courage and who will speak God's promises to you, who will remind you of the faithfulness and the love of God. Amen. Be careful. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great theologian of yesteryear, said, Our problem as Christians is we listen to ourselves too much and we don't talk to ourselves nearly enough. I like that. We listen to ourselves too we don't talk to ourselves nearly enough. Instead of listening to ourselves and getting down to the mully grubs, we need to talk to ourselves. Amen. David said, I encouraged myself in the Lord. Sometimes you have to and point your face in the mirror and preach your best sermon. Amen. And look at yourself in the mirror and say, self, we will not give in. We will not give up. We will not turn back. God loves us. God is with us. God is for us. God will never leave us or forsake us. And encourage yourself in the Lord. Talk to yourself. Amen? And when you start answering yourself, go see a doctor. But talk to yourself. Amen? When you least feel like coming is the Sunday you need to make the effort to get here. Coming into God's presence changes our perspective. Amen? When we get around other believers, their faith ignites our faith. It's like kindling wood. The songs of God's people rekindle our worship. The preached word of God reminds us of his promises. Verse 28 says, I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. Declare the good things God has done. I went through a season recently when things were stressful and difficult. And I trained my heart to be thankful. And instead of dropping my head and saying, man, this is a long, hard day, I would walk outside and I'd look up and I'd say, God, I thank you that. And I would fill in the blank. And every time those feelings of despair would come over me, I would train my heart to say, we're not going to complain about anything. We're going to give God thanks about everything. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I don't want to drive all the way out to the field again tonight for soccer practice. Right, Brent? It's a long way for me and you both. But instead to get in that car and say, God, I thank you that my boy can run and play and he's strong and he's healthy and I get to drive him. I don't got to drive him, I get to drive him, amen? Amen, I get to do that because he's strong and healthy today. God, thank you that my kids are able to go and play. Talk to yourself. Come to God's house, amen? Number two here, number five, do measure in the long run. Say the long run. 
I love it the way Eugene Peterson renders this phrase. He says, then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you've put the wicked on. With a final crash in a ditch of delusion. In the blink of an eye, disaster. A blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake, our eye, we wake up and rub our eyes. Nothing. There's nothing to them. There never was. All these people that we're tempted to compare ourselves to, God says, don't measure in the short run. Measure in the long run. 100 years from now, where will you be? And where will the man who ignores God be? Don't measure in the short run. Measure in the long run. Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Don't rejoice that you get some prayers answered in the here and now. Don't rejoice over what good things are happening right now. Jesus said, rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are pardoned. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute unrighteousness. Blessed is the man who's right with God. I'm blessed today because whatever happens to me today, the one thing I know for sure is I'm not going to hell today. Amen? Thank the Lord. Lots of bad things could happen to me, but the worst thing will not happen to me. Because the worst thing is to die separated from God and go out into eternity unprepared to meet Him. And because of the blood of Jesus, that will not happen to me, no matter what does happen to me today. The worst will not happen because Jesus has already taken the sting out of death for me at His cross. Aren't you glad? Measure in the long term. Say the long term. Amen. Number six, do focus on your portion. Say your portion. Focus on the who you have instead of the what that you don't have. Asaph was a Levite. You say, what does that mean? He was from the priestly tribe. Here's the reason that's important. Whenever God divided the inheritance, the land up in Israel, the Levites didn't get any land. They didn't get a section of the land. They were allowed to live wherever they wanted to in Israel. There were cities that the Levites had established, but they didn't get a block of land that belonged to them. They didn't have an earthly inheritance or a plot of land that was theirs. Instead, the Lord said, I will be your portion. The Lord was their portion. The land wasn't their inheritance. God was their inheritance. Wow. So notice what Asaph Asaph says in this passage. I love it. Um, He says to them, he says, Lord, you are my portion. I love it. I love it. He he tells them this. He says, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Say portion. Lord, I may not have what everybody else has in this world, but I've got something lots of people don't have in this world. I've got you. I've got you. Amen? We used to sing about that. And shout about that. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Lord, I don't have much money, but Lord, I've got you. You remember that line? We used to sing that. Amen? I wish we'd get back our song in the nighttime. We used to sing, when I, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. We'd sing I'd rather have Jesus than silver.
I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and live in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That was Asaph's attitude. Lord, you are my portion. And for whatever I don't have in this world, I do have you. And I'd rather have you than anything anybody else has. You are my portion in this life, O oh Lord. Say it with me. You are my portion. God is my God. He's my inheritance. Amen. Get your eyes off the world and its possessions. One day it will melt into the asphalt outside. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's your portion and he's more than enough. Lastly, and I'm closing, do draw near to God. Say draw near to God. He says in verse 27, For indeed those who are far from you will perish. For you destroy all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Sometimes, we hate to admit this, but sometimes it takes a season of difficulty where life feels unfair to cause us to draw near to God. We hate to admit it, don't we? But we pray better when we're in trouble. We walk closer when we're in trouble. We live cleaner when we're in, come on, we do. We pray more frequently, with more fervor. We draw near to God. And the psalmist says, you know what, it's good for me to draw near to God. And if this problem pushed me into his presence, then it may have been a blessing in disguise for me. I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know what God's hope for you is. God's hope is that you will be able to say, Lord, you are my portion. And that instead of discouraging you and making you quit church and stop praying, that this problem will drive you into God's presence more deeply in prayer. And that you will see what he will do for you if you will trust in him. Stand with me all over the house. When we're in the hour of trial and our faith is deeply tested by pain, what we really need is not answers from God. We need an encounter with God. Do you hear me? We don't need answers from God. We need an encounter with God. I've been through great trials and, and asked the Lord why. And the Lord would answer me back often and he would say, you don't really care why. You just wish it weren't so. Yeah, Lord, that's exactly right. No answer would be enough for me when things are going difficult. I don't want answers. What I need is the comfort of God's presence. I need God to show up in the room. I need him to put his arm on my shoulder. I need him to reassure me that he's with me and that he still loves me. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you today, can you trust him during this time? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. A little boy named Frank wandered around the house and looked out the windows and he grumbled under his breath a little bit. He was very disappointed at the way the day had gone. His dad had promised to take him fishing that morning. But he woke up that morning and it was raining cats and dogs outside. And he knew that the fishing trip was not going to happen. He began to complain about the rain. Seems like the Lord would have known better than to, and sent the rain yesterday instead of today, Frank said. He complained to his father sitting by the fireplace who was enjoying a good book. Dad tried to explain to Frank how badly the rain was needed. That it would make the flowers grow and it would cause the farmer's crops to flourish. 
But Frank was adamant. It just isn't right, he said over and over. It's just not fair. Today's Saturday. Yesterday I was in school. Why couldn't it rain then? About 3 o'clock, the rain finally stopped. Still time for a little bit of fishing. Quickly the gear was loaded and he and Dad were off to the lake. Whether it was the rain or some other reason, the fish were biting hungrily and, his, and the father and the son soon returned back home with a full string of fish. Big fish. Nice brim the size of a man's hand. At supper, some of the fish were ready. Frank's mom asked him to say the blessing. Frank bowed his head and said, Lord, thank you for the food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. And Lord, if I sounded, grumper, if I sounded grumpy earlier... It was just because I couldn't see far enough ahead. Can I tell you on the days when we're feeling grumpy, we would do well to remember that we never can see very far ahead. And if we could see down the road what God's going to do to turn it around, and if we could see what God's going to build in us by way of character through the storm, and if we could see the heavenly home that waits for us at the end of a rough, rocky road, we would be willing to say whether it's good right now or whether it's difficult right now. Like Job, the Lord is given or the Lord is taken. But either way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, you're good. Not just to the pure in heart, you're good to everyone. And Lord, whether things are going well for me or not, you're still good and you're faithful and I can trust you. Lord, help us never to doubt your goodness or misjudge the reward of righteousness because we just can't see far enough ahead. I hope today, if you're dealing with disappointment, you'll take to heart the lesson of this great worship pastor from the Psalms and set your heart and your mind on Jesus today. Let's bow our hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, I know there are people in the room for whom this message is, it's not a theory, it's not something to tuck away for an upcoming season of trial down the road there are friends I have in this room and I know with all my heart they are there God they're right in the thick of it they feel like Asaph Lord you've got to be kidding me this is what's happening Lord they struggle today and they're, they're disappointed they've tried to please and honor you and they've wondered Lord what's happening and why is this going so badly for me Lord I ask today that by the power of your Holy Spirit you'd meet them here and you would encourage their hearts and that, Lord, they would find that they can trust you where they can't trace you. And the Lord, you would help us today as people of faith to say with Asaph, the Lord is my portion. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And he will guide me yet. Lord, let us trust and hope in you. Let our faith be strengthened in the midst of our trial. And may we look and see back on this day at the great things you've done in us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed this morning. We're going to sing the song of the Lord as our closing act of worship. But as we sing, if you just need somebody to reach out and join hands with you in prayer and help you pray through a difficult moment, a rough spot in the road, I want to tell you this morning, the altar's open. There's no judgment. There's no pressure. There's just an opportunity. But if this morning you need another Christian to grab you by the hand and to help you pray, to encourage and strengthen your heart because of a difficult trial today, I invite you to come. I invite you to come. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you've realized that you don't have a relationship with this God who loves and strengthens and guides and enables, what are you waiting on? He loves you. 
We've sung about it today. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price so that you could know Him and have a relationship with Him. And today, if you'll turn from your own way and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, confess to God that you need His forgiveness and love, turn away from your own way of living life and invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Trust in Him today. He'll meet you here. You can begin a relationship with Christ today. I invite you to come as well. The altar's open. But today is an act of faith. I want every one of us to lift our voice and sing to the Lord. Lord, whether it's good or it's bad, my response to you is blessed be the name of the Lord. Say it with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's sing this. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at forcehillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forcehillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.